take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Show of hands. Except you two. <laughs> Who knew Brockville had a museum? Not I, as you both rocket your hands up. Uh, Peggy, Brooke, welcome. Hello. Thank you for Hello. coming in. Um, for people who are new to the podcast, thanks to this and wanted to hear more about the museum, I've had a few people come on and talk about museums before. We've had Laura. We've had Emma. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of museums and what they do and what, what they represent to communities and culture and history. Uh, and... You know, I learn something new every day that small towns actually do have museums. Exactly. We do. <laughs> yeah. Right into the microphone. That's okay. Um, so you're, whole, you're having like a new exhibit. Yes. Um, Prudence Hayward? Heward. Heward. Yeah. Yep. Who, why Prudence? Why is this woman deservant of a full exhibition here? So... Prudence Heward uh, was born in 1896 in Montreal to a fairly wealthy family, um, but they had a summer home in Brockville. So her connection to Brockville is quite strong. Her family history, um, her grandparents lived there, and then her parents bought the family cottage. Um, So Brockville was super important to her, and we wanted to bring together the paintings that she did in Brockville uh, to bring it all the paintings back home right so everything that's going to be featured is was like done in Brockville. done in yes. brockville or of brockville yeah. got you okay fun fact i was born in brockville super cool 1992 shout out to the doctors and nurses don't know any of you but <laughs> you brought in me so great so can i be in the museum sure uh we do have like a people of brockville exhibit yeah uh so famous people of brockville i guess you would count yeah you were born the, there what's the criteria now here <laughs> to be famous um okay so she I, I can't remember. Did we already mention the date? So she was like very early 19th century. Yeah. So she was born in 1896. Um, unfortunately, she died in 1947. So she was quite young when she passed away. Um, she suffered from asthma her entire life. So that really affected uh, her health and health care for asthma wasn't as great then as it might be today. Um, so she died quite young. She had a very like traumatic childhood Um Her dad and two of her sisters died both when she was 16 years old. So uh, lost three family members in one year. Her two brothers fought in the First World War. So had kind of a rough childhood, I guess. But they're from a fairly wealthy Montreal family. So she wasn't as bad off as some of like her uh, contemporaries in art, I guess. Right. So like, I mean, how did this affect her art like was it i don't know if you know the answer was like just like a talent and a hobby that she's like oh i'm pretty good at it or like yeah you know what i mean like a lot of times when you hear art it's from like good art is like not all the time but like struggle um like persevering i wouldn't necessarily say that in her case like she started taking lessons at the art institute of montreal when she or art association of montreal sorry when she was 12 um it was and she took them all the way up until the start of the first world war when she went with her mother and her sister over to England uh, to be closer to her two brothers that were fighting. And when she was there, she like went to art exhibits in London and stuff like that. Um, When she came back to Canada after the first world war, she took more lessons at the art Institute of Montreal, which is where she met a lot of her friends and contemporaries, uh, which became the Beaver Hall group. Um, The the Beaver Hall group was a 
Montreal group of artists from 1920 to 1922, and they were kind of like the Montreal rival to the Group of Seven, which okay. a lot of people know who the Group of Seven right, is. Right, but for those who don't know, Group is, of Seven. Uh, right, we always have to provide. To? Yeah, yeah. Con- <laughs> we always have to provide yeah. context. <laughs> so the Group of Seven were a group of male artists that were mostly based out of Ontario, Toronto area who, if you've ever gone into a gallery or picked up a mug that has art on it that you'd say, this is Canada, nine times out of ten, it's painted by one of the members of the group of seven. Some of their names would be uh, Lauren Harris, A.Y. Jackson, Tom Thompson, the really big Canadian art names. Okay, okay. Yeah, so Prudence was at the Beaver, or at the Art Association in Montreal, where she met a lot of these other artists that formed the Beaver Hall group. So it had 19 members. Uh, eight of the 19 members were women which was uh, really big in that day because group of seven was all men. Um, This group was almost 50-50 men and women, which was super important because a lot of women artists at the time, once they got married, they stopped being artists. Mm. Like Mm. marriage became their full-time job. And even then you have on top of that, that women artists were not considered professionals. They were seen as a hobbyist. So by having a professional group of women coming together, like this to produce art, they are propping each other up and giving their art legitimacy. Right. Like, well, is is that maybe a reason they never took off like the group of seven? Like, did people maybe like look down on them because it's it was women possible. and people didn't take it seriously? Like, outside of like the circle they were in. Yeah. Well, the Beaver Hall group only lasted for two years. Where the group of seven, I think, was together for about ten years okay. before they disbanded. Right, right. So there was also more exposure, and because they were all men, there was more exposure. But like A.Y. Jackson was the first president of the Beaver Hall group. And he was very well known in Toronto as a member of the group of seven. He was the first president of the Beaver Hall group. He really supported these young artists because he was a little bit older than they were. Um, so he supported trying to get their art after the, off the ground. And uh, in this exhibit that we're opening at the Brockville Museum, Painting Picnic with Prudence Heward, uh, we do have some A.Y. Jackson pieces coming because he used to go to Brockville, to Fernbank, where her cottage was, and would go paint with her. So that's why it's painting picnics. He kind of coined that term that they would go and do this together. Right. Does someone live in that cottage now? Or like, is it still a thing or is it like now part of like the museum? No, it's still, no, it's still, it's uh, still in the Heward family. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, So like moving forward in her life, like I know you, people can't see some of the art that, that she produced, but but as I was looking through, there was, there was obviously a lot of like scenic kind of things. Yeah. Also, I do not know the correct terminology. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I am, I am like art illiterate. Like I know nothing. Well, like we're not art historians either. (laughs) This has been a crash course for everyone at the museum. We're all historians really. We're not. Art or not art historians. So <laughs> everything we have is self-taught, but we've all been very excited to try to learn these new things and try to uh, understand the terminology when we come up. Right. Okay. It. Okay. So, yeah. Don't worry. So Prudence was very well known for her portraits, or I think she called them picture. She called them figure studies, but she's very well known for uh, doing portraits of women, um, especially young girls and young, or young boys in her life. Like there's a few one of her caddy at the Brockville Golf Club. Um, I don't remember where it's on display. There's one of her brother. Um, There's some of like her nieces, some of young girls that she met traveling between Toronto or Montreal and Brockville, sorry. Um, So it's really cool that this exhibit is about her landscapes and the scenes that she saw on these painting picnics in the Brockville area. We have a painting of Gananoque. We have a painting of Maitland, Cardinal, Athens, um, scenes of the St. Lawrence River. So it's really neat that 
this is the first time paintings of Brockville have been brought together of hers. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have the chance to like look at the, the pictures and then like go to the spot where maybe you could like look out and be like, this is what there's the- a few. Um, <laughs> There's some of like local churches and stuff where you're like, okay, this church is on this road. We can go mm-hmm. see that place. Right. Um, there's others. This one's just called like Summer Landscape near Brockville. And you're like, this is along the St. Lawrence River. <laughs> okay, right. I don't know where yeah. it is. There's been a lot of Google map sleuthing, trying to figure out where roads are and where buildings are and curves in the road or whatever are and asking each other, do you recognize it? Is it here? Is it there? And sometimes we're able to narrow it down to a section maybe. Right, right. But there's some that, hey, maybe that's something we'll do with the exhibit. We'll put a little suggestion box out saying, do you know where these pieces of art were <laughs> right. painted? Let us know the location. Because right. um, like, I'm like a huge music guy. And when I, when I see, when I hear a song and I, I look at the lyrics and I'm like, I try to put myself in the, the headspace. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I know sometimes songs that like, come out and you're just like, wow, I feel this. But like, where was this person at when they were writing this? Why is it mm-hmm. so dark or why is it so this? So I have to think like it's very much the same as like a, like a, a seeing vis- a painting yeah, or something, a yeah, a painter or like yeah. a, an artist, like a visual artist, like that. Where like you're trying to you're like taking a walk and you kind of just look and you're like, I mean, now it'd be on Instagram yeah. probably, but before <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're like, yeah. I need my canvas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really neat. Uh, my boss and I got to go to the archives at Queen's University. And they have the Isabel McLaughlin collection. So she was also a contemporary artist at the time. And they have almost all the letters that Prudence Heward ever sent to Isabel McLaughlin because she kept everything. So we got to read, like, in Prudence Heward's words, how she was feeling one July day in Brockville. And she said, like, it's too green and too hot outside to paint right now. So come visit and bring your tennis shoes or something like that. So, like, you can tell... It was her passion and her ho- and a hobby and a job for her, but also like, okay, like I can just take the day off because it's too green and it's too hot outside to paint today. Right. There's also record of her saying, or not even her saying, but her friends who were artists saying that she always doubted her art. Uh, mm. She was a shy person. She didn't want to teach or anything like that. So she was always comfortable doing smaller canvases and didn't look for the accolades that some of the other professional artists that needed their art to sell to survive would have done. Uh, And also because, unfortunately, because of her health and because she died so young, a lot of her contemporaries went and painted for another 20 years, whereas her dying at 51, unfortunately, means her body of work is significantly smaller than, say, A.Y. Jackson, who was alive, I think, up until the 70s. Yeah. So there's a... It's a small body of work, but it's a very interesting body of work. Well, what was her fame then like at the time? Um, was she, you know, again, like through your research and, and what was her notoriety there? Like, was it very small, like Montreal kind of newer? Or was like she no. like kind of recognized a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, she was all over the place. Yeah. Um, because of her close like relationship with A.Y. Jackson, uh, she in the 19th. 30s she joined the canadian group of painters and she was its first vice president or something like that i think so uh like we have a timeline of all of the exhibitions she was in and she was probably in three exhibitions a year um across ontario quebec uh she exhibited in london england uh throughout the states some of her shows were in or art pieces went to like buenos aires on exhibit so she was kind of all over the place Mm. but 
because of her, I would say it's probably because of her relationship with A.Y. Jackson. And he was like, I have all of these art friends that want to be on exhibit too. So we're all going to do a show and you're going to look at all of our artwork together. Because he was like the big name, I think, that people would have looked towards. Yeah, he's definitely one of the big names. I would say that she would have been known in the art world, but probably her fame, at least in Brockville, would have come from the family. Just being from a very well-known, well-established, loyalist family in Brockville is why people would have known her. What was art like at in the time? So, like, I'm trying to, you know, looking back at my high school history education, <laughs> you know, the 1920s, you know, roaring 20s, the economy's booming a little bit. It, it's, you know, World War One's over. The Great Depression hasn't hip- happened yet. So, you know, it's a it's a very mm-hmm. robust time. What was art's impact, and more specifically in Canada? Because you almost never hear about that type of stuff it is an interesting time for art in canada uh in the 19th uh, 19th early 20th century it's kind of a part where a lot of artists are trying to establish the canadian art scene they want art that's distinctly canadian that you can look at and go this is a canadian artist this isn't from america this isn't from england or whatever so they're experimenting with different styles different colors they're trying to create a national identity for art. And that's right. something that the Group of Seven really becomes well known for. Uh, they really become known as that, those Canadian artists. And that's what the Canadian Group of Painters goes on to become. And they're taking kind of what's happening in the era and being influenced by things like music. So you get in some of Prudence's paintings and her friends from the Beaver Hall group, you see them really exploring modernism and jazz and art deco in their pieces. But you also see the critics at the time really hating the art uh, because it's going against everything that is considered good art. They're using very interesting Mm. colors. You could almost call them garish colors. Uh, I know there's one quote somewhere about some of the art at the time that's essentially calling it a hot mess. And it looks like a stew (laughs) that was thrown on a canvas. Um, but are, are these Canadian art critics these, or are these, these are, like are Canadian art critics out of Toronto kind of idea okay. out of Montreal. Yeah, oh, Toronto. It, <laughs> hasn't changed. It, it takes a while for Canadian art really to get its place, but it's people like Prudence that help establish Canadian art as a force to be reckoned with later right. on. Well, and it's neat because in, I have a quote here, um, that Prudence said in 1942, Uh, She said, I think that all the arts in Canada, painting shows more vitality and has a stronger Canadian feeling. There is more interest shown in finger painting than previously, and I hope we shall develop something interesting and Canadian in feeling, yet universal, modern, yet timeless. Hmm. So, like, she was was classically trained in Montreal. She also studied in Paris. She studied in Italy. With a um, lot of the big names. With a lot of the big names at the time. So... It wasn't like she's like, I'm just going to paint today. It's mm-hmm. She was classically trained and she knew what to do. Okay, right. So, yeah, she wasn't just like, you know, for lack of better words, a rich girl who just was painting yeah. and like got Yeah, no, she studied. She trained. Okay. Um, I noticed also in her in her work, other than I mean, we talked about the, the scenic stuff, but I noticed a lot of pictures of, of women and specifically like some women from much different cultural backgrounds that I would say you know than what we would expect and especially that time you know the uh young first nations uh girl 
um, like some black women. Yeah. Like, what was like that all about? What, um, why does that draw her attention? So some of them I know she did. Um, she traveled to Bermuda with Isabel McLaughlin. Um, so I know some of them come from her travels there. Um, others was she kind of had the influence, I guess, to be able to to do it. It would it would partially be influence, but it also be time frame of it's easier for her to get a young woman to sit that she can paint than it would be for her to do a one-on-one with a young man that she doesn't necessarily know. Because okay. you're still looking at those decorum, kind of old uh, fashion social values, and they are from a rich family, so those values are holding strong. So she's able to go into, some of them were uh, farmer's wives, some of them are friends, some of them may be servants, and she's able to paint them. And she also says somewhere, that she knows women. She is a woman. She knows how to paint women. And she's oh not interested in romanticizing them. So when you look at her art, it's oh they always have an expression. <laughs> they always have an expression on their face of almost, can you hurry up and finish this? Or of defiance <laughs> or of um, yeah, I'm sitting here, but I'm not going to smile. It's she's not trying to make them look pretty. She's not trying to make them seem attractive. It's very much this is what a woman is like. This hmm. this is normal. This is uh, there's one very famous painting of hers that I think is in the gallery here in Ottawa, and it's a young farm woman, and she has her hands on her hips, and she's just staring down uh, Prudence, since it's her painting, and it doesn't make you feel comfortable necessarily looking at these hmm. pieces of art. Yeah, you're, you're really kind of looking into the soul of these people. Interesting. Um, was that something like? capturing the soul of it like that takes a lot of i don't know skill or or humanity in in what you're trying to do right (laughs) that like you know that like you can't even do that in like a picture today sometimes Mm -hmm. that you're really capturing the essence almost yeah it's was that was that even recognized at the time like when i'm thinking about you know like women weren't regarded at all like really back then right like yeah, you said yeah. like they all would become mothers and wives and that became the rest of your life yeah when she was painting pictures of women like again like going back to the time like was that even of interest or like did people still it, regard that as like it was wow. but it was like it could be controversial at times um in so in 1929 she won the first prize at the willingdon arts competition for girl on a hill um, and it was a work depicting a modern dancer, uh, Louise McClay. I think that's how you say her name. Um, so I have here, it was a triumph for an unknown artist, especially since the painting used dark, unexplored colors. Um, Dennis Reed wrote in his book, A Concise History of Canadian Painting, that girl on a hill displays more than a passing acquaintance with the subtle colors and classical compositions so dear to Parisian taste that during the during the early years of the, the century. So like... She, the critics did come after her sometimes, but they also appreciated what she was able to do um, mm. with her portraits. Interesting. So it was recognized. Yeah, yeah. That she could pull that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So for some of her career, she's also going against the grain because it's a time where people kind of wanted landscapes. And she's yeah. doing these unromantic portraits of right. people. Like not something you really want to put in your house or sell, right? Like it, Then, no. Yeah. Now <laughs> she's pretty collectible. Yeah. <laughs> um. I want to know, like, so how many people work at the Brockview Museum with you? So (laughs) we are a very small staff. We are a community museum, uh, with the exception of our 
intern here, uh, Brooke, we are three and a half staff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, for those who don't know, like you walk into a museum and you're like, wow, this exhibit's great. And then you go home and you're like, that's great. You know, when we look at like, you know, the, the Museum of Nature or of the Science and yeah. Tech, right? You have a lot of people. You have teams of people. That, doing different projects. That do things and we have one person. Like you'll have a team of educational programmers where we have Peggy. Yeah. And you might have a team of curators where we have our boss, Natalie. Um, so I'm I'm interested, like if you can, like the best you can, like, yeah. take us through the process of, you know. Of this exhibit? We're like, okay, so yeah, we're like cold notes. Yeah, or if yeah. you want, we, we could talk for three hours. But okay, so we want to do... An exhibit on Prudence, I keep screwing up. I want to Prudence say keyword. Hayward. Yeah, yeah. Keyword. Um, to, okay, what does that look like? Take us through that process so, of setting up this exhibit. Well, I can talk a little bit about the beginnings, I guess. So the Beaver Hall group celebrated an anniversary in, 20, well, this year. This year is the 100th anniversary of the Beaver right, Hall group starting, 2020. Um, so... I know the group at the museum, this is before I came in, wanted to celebrate it. And they had heard that Prudence Heward was from Brockville and all this stuff. So I think it was a couple years ago, even that uh... Victor was talking to someone. Victor, yeah, one of our colleagues, he was talking to, I guess, it would have been one of Prudence's nephews and somehow found out about this connection. And then it didn't really go anywhere for a couple of years. And then we just kind of kept finding more and more information about Prudence and her time in Brockville and about her art. And then our uh, boss, Natalie, uh, got in contact with a lady called Evelyn Walters, who is kind of a Prudence Heward aficionado. She's written quite a few books. Uh She knows a lot about her. And we uh, ended up just finding out more. We found out people who have paintings. We got in contact with the family. And once we got in contact with the family, and that would have been last August, I believe, maybe a little before that, we started seeing, you know what, we have an exhibit here. If we can somehow pull this off, because as we keep saying, we're punching above our weight class here. We're a small little museum who just doesn't know how to stop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when you say we kept finding out or we kept Mm -hmm. looking for, again, I want to like take people, like really show the process of how things like this come together. Yeah. What, like, what do you, like, so even, I assume you don't have this giant, like, encyclopedia at the basement where you can just be like, I'm just going to look up everything I need. Like, oh, how, nice. you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, how, when you Fun say finding out, so, what are the things you're trying to do? You mentioned you visit the, the Queen's archives. Yeah. Like, so I started at the museum in November. I'm there on a YCW, which is Young Canada Works Heritage Organization grant. That's a really long acronym. It's a long name. <laughs> so YCW. Um, so I'm there only for five months. So I started in November and my last day is the day the museum opens to the public or the exhibit opens to the public, which is super sad for me because this is now my little baby and I have to leave. <laughs> right, right. Um, so when I had started, uh, the museum had been in contact with other museums and galleries to get certain pieces of artwork to Brockville that they knew were uh, completed by Prudence Heward in Brockville or by friends of hers in Brockville. And how, sorry, how receptive are like, like the National Art Gallery? They're like... Are they like really like supportive? Like, are yeah, they just yeah. like, why is this little museum? So, <laughs> the process is kind of like, hey, we're doing this exhibit on Prudence Seward. We know that you have this piece of art. Can you loan it to us for a few months? That's kind of how like, it really, goes. Yeah. And then it, 
there might be stipulations on the loan. Yeah, loan agreements go back and forth. Right, like you guys don't have like a Slack channel of everyone in museums being like, hey, did anyone know where this painting (laughs) is? There isn't a group chat or anything like that, no. (laughs) Okay, right. So So you got to do the research to find who has them. So my job when I came in was to get in touch with these different galleries and private collectors and be like, hey, is it still okay if we borrow your art? And when I first started, I think there was 10 pieces of artwork that we were going to have. have It might have even been eight. Now we're at 16 pieces of art that's going to be in this exhibit, which we're like, okay, there's still enough space on the wall that we can fit everything, (laughs) but it's getting tight, Um, which is cool. So we started out with Prudence Heward pieces and uh, a piece by Ruth Elliott. And the Elliotts were the neighbors of the Hewards uh, in Brockville. And uh, we decided we could get some A.Y. Jackson pieces. So we have three A.Y. Jackson pieces that are going to be on display, which is super exciting. Um, and then even in the last three weeks, we've had two people contact us, be like, we also have this painting if you want it. We're like, yes, we do want it because mm. it's going to add to our exhibit. Yeah, so it's not all art just done by Prudence. It's mm-hmm. art from this whole group that we're participating in the painting picnics. So we're trying mm, okay. to really... We're not an art gallery. We're not trying to say we're an art mm-hmm. gallery. We're looking at this through history. So we're looking at it as this group of people coming to Brockville, depicting Brockville in uh, the early 1900s in these painting picnics. Mm-hmm. So it, definitely a different look. Yeah. And so now that or once we discovered we could get all of these paintings to Brockville, we had to figure out how we were going to pay to get them to Brockville. Right. Because yes. shipping fine art is expensive. Yeah. And like half of the budget that was decided for this exhibit is going to shipping our work to and from Brockville. Wow. Which is, it's a big expense, yes. um, a necessary expense, because yeah. these are priceless works but of art. But those are the things you don't think about. Like. No, like we have, we had a fundraising campaign. Um, we had a fundraising gala that we're going to be having at the end of the month. Um, we were asking for sponsorships from local businesses and stuff that would help us out. And we've had a really great response. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're, somewhere like 80 or 90 percent of the way to the goal that we wanted to reach um, for sponsorship which is awesome and a lot of it's cold letters sent out to businesses (laughs) will you help us out um members of the community uh people who are members of the museum itself have helped us out um so it's been a really nice community effort and a lot of people in the brothel community are very excited that all of this artwork is coming home to Brockville. Well, yeah, because you'd think, you know, today we have, we have, you know, phones like that, that do everything, like Netflix on demand, like all these different things. I, I've had this conversation a number of times on the podcast, but when we're talking about art, and we, when I say that, like visual, um, music, all yeah. that stuff, like, right, like when you're thinking of educational cuts, like that's usually one of the first things to go in society when when arts start getting you know right like and mm-hmm. it's been going on like that everywhere for for all of time the first things that go is yeah. art yeah. music um all that type of stuff so to me that a community would still rally around you know some not some woman but disrespectful <laughs> but uh, but uh, a woman alive a hundred years ago who's painting mm-hmm. like yeah. that you guys didn't have too much trouble around that yeah, we've, pretty remarkable. Yeah, we've been very, very lucky that we've been able to find the spark, uh, the support just from the average person walking into the museum to the art community in Brockville to some of the private donors that are also lending art, things like that. Uh, everyone's been very, very excited about this. And I think part of it is 
people of Brockville, uh, speaking as someone not from Brockville, but people of Brockville are very, very proud of their hometown. And they want to show, (laughs) they want to show uh, the bigger communities of, we're right between Kingston and Ottawa. So they want to show that we have everything that Kingston and Ottawa does. It's just on a smaller small town scale really right so it's like we've had big artists we've had very well-known artists that have come out of brockville and they painted these wonderful pieces of art so why shouldn't we support it mm-hmm. um and when it comes to things like cuts yes you're definitely correct we've been very lucky uh at the brockville museum because we are also uh, i don't know how to put it but we're also supported by the city of uh, Brockville because we are a city department. So we're different from a lot of community museums where we don't have to fundraise 100% of our budget. We do get some money, but uh, we still do rely on donations to keep things going, to keep Mm -hmm. things like our education programs going and to keep uh, special events like this happening. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like like when you think about people... I put it people who (laughs) um, are very um, concerned where their tax dollars are going (laughs) that they might find out you know I I don't know much about the demographics of of Brockville and what the industry's like there but Mm -hmm. I I assume just like most of the parts around the city of Ottawa it's a very conservative base that that the municipality can still find room in the budget and again the community rallies behind it because Mm -hmm. they see you know the importance that this plays in their community like it's just to me that's fascinating because you don't get that a lot anywhere anymore that Mm -hmm. like that that proud of our history and we want to showcase that like it's just it's different it's a different perspective Yeah, so um, we do get money through various grants as well. We, um, like I said, we get money from the city, which we're very lucky for. Don't worry, I'm not doing an we audit get on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, all of a sudden. Yeah, where uh, does uh, IK go right through the verticals? Where does did you spend? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I just find it interesting um, that no, the community it, can it rally No, it is like interesting, that. and we do get money through uh, what's called a CMOG grant, which is Community Museums Operating Grant. So, you know, that's something that helps keep the lights on, essentially. But we've also undertaken, I'd say for the last about six years, a huge educational component where we are trying to educate the community on the importance of our museum, Uh, educating them that this is where we keep the history of Brockville. This is where we have that history of the industries that have come and gone, of the people who are here. And we're just we're trying to show that we are for the community we support the community we try to display the community to any sort of visitor to brockville Mm -hmm. and i think people are starting to uh, really engage with that sort of messaging Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean like it's nice that we talk about how nice it is but you know give me some education about it why is a, a community museum like this why is that so important like today when you have wikipedia when you have google you know, what is it about mm-hmm. the community museum aspect that really okay. is super important to to like a local town? So 
one of the really cool things uh, that I found out when I got to the Brockville Museum was that they had just won an award uh, from the Ontario Museum Association. They so won the award-winning award-winning Brockville Museum. Okay, I should have led with um, that. So they won the 2019 Ontario Museum Asso- Association Award of Excellence for Exhibitions. What was it called? That's what it's the long name of it. Okay, um, if I may have a recommendation a from someone outside, totally removed. Y'all museum people need to shorten, shorten your stuff? names and acronyms. I know. We love words. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're like English so, uh, the exhibit that they won it for was called uh, Travel Trunk, Unpacking Brockville's Cultural Stories. And it unpacks the role of immigration, uh, the role that immigration has played in Brockville's development and discover the stories of local newcomers, all while exploring your own family's uh, journey to Brockville. Um, so it's a really neat exhibit. It talks about, um, is it Homeboys, which was like a group of orphans that came over from London in the early 1900s. It talked home children. Home children. Yeah. Sorry. Did you say the homeboys. <laughs> homeboys. That where that comes from. Um, it talks about um, recent uh, immigrants to Brockville and why they settled there, why they chose Brockville, how they ended up there. So it's a really neat way to bring the entire community aware of not just like past immigration stories, but current mm-hmm. immigration stories and right. how that's affecting the Brockville community in well, a positive way. Well, what's some of that stuff like? How what was some of the immigration stuff that came to Brockville? Because I guess if you're looking at the St. Lawrence, you know that was the major trade route from from the ocean and, yep. and getting through. So a lot of people so, coming through. I would say your early settlement of Brockville, uh, it's the loyalists that are coming over in the late 1700s. So you're getting a lot of Americans that are either fighting for the British during the. Uh, uh, Help me. Thank you. The Revolutionary War. It's one of the wars. Uh, They're coming over. And so there are a lot of people of English and Irish background. And they are the people with money. They are the people with influence. So they are the history that's often written about in Brockville. But uh, this is a project that started a little bit before I came on at the museum two years ago. But I got very involved with this project. And they started digging into, well, what are the stories that aren't being told? Because everyone in Brockville knows the Loyalist history. They know the town fathers were... I mean, let's be honest, the white history. Yeah, they know the white history. They know that Buell and Jones and the other very popular names in town. But when you start reading through the documents and going through newspapers, you start hearing about the Chinese immigrants who are coming in. And you start hearing about the Irish immigrants who are coming on immigrant ships and docking in Brockville. You start hearing about um, POW German soldiers who are being held in Brockville during the war. You start hearing about uh, some of the Italians coming in. You start hearing about some even of the slaves that are coming over with the first settlers. And we started realizing that this story isn't being told. Um, and we wanted to be able to tell this story to the best of our ability and also tell as much of the recent history to the best of our ability so that anyone can come into a museum or at least our museum and feel that we aren't excluding them, that we are trying to represent the community of Brockville to right. whatever ability that we can. For everybody. Yes, like exactly. Every Museums are for story. everybody, so you should yeah. be able to walk into a museum and somehow identify with right. what you're reading and seeing. So why, you know, now I'm, now I'm just no. generally curious about <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. So, like, <laughs> why were, like, the slaves and settlers and especially, like, the Chinese immigrants, why were they, what was it about Brockville, right? Because you had Kingston right down mm-hmm. the, the lake, not too far, um, which was 
a pretty major that was that was that was the capital of Canada at one for point. For a little bit, yeah. Yeah, like so what what was it about Brockville? Is it like kind of like that I don't want to go to the city, so I'm going to stay out here. <laughs> so it it depends who you're talking to right. and what it's about. Uh, some didn't have a choice. So, of course, the slaves that are coming right. over, they don't have a choice where they're settling. Uh, some of them were freed, of course, uh, once they come to Canada and they stay in the areas. But a lot of these people are illiterate, so they're not leaving behind historical records. So we know very little about them. Uh, for... Other groups that are coming in, sometimes they're coming in because of industries that are popping up in Brockville, and it's a place for a job. For some, I've read in some historical documents that they were on ships coming down the St. Lawrence, and they just wanted to get off. This this was where they were going to stop. This is where they had to pee. Yeah. <laughs> no more. Um, so you get a lot of that, and then... It was also land grants, and it was untouched area. It was somewhere where you could go, you could farm, you could be whatever you needed to be. And being a young town, a small town, you know, we might not have a barber yet. They can set up a barber. They can set up, um, I don't know, a Chinese laundry, a dry cleaner kind Mm -hmm. of idea. They can set up a restaurant. They can do what they want to do because it isn't an oversaturated market. And we were right on the main road between a lot of major communities between Kingston and Ottawa and Montreal. So you saw a lot of money coming through Brockville. You got a lot of millionaires. We like to say that at one point in Brockville history, we had more millionaires per capita in Brockville than anywhere else in Canada. Really? eh? So there was a lot of money coming in Brockville. So it was a good place to set up. Right. The... Rideau Canal doesn't reach there, right? I'm trying to think of my job. We're right on the shores of the St. Lawrence. Yeah, okay. Because I'm trying to... Like, especially that that Chinese immigration part too. Like, why were they coming? And I, that's a I don't even know if you know the question. Now I'm like really getting in deep into this. We'll do what we can. Because like, right, like when I was thinking about the the history of the Rideau Canal and like Chinese mm-hmm. immigration was huge and like basically slave labor just building this canal. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why were they like coming through this way to to places like Brockville, places like Ottawa? Was like, was that a forced thing? Um, to come there, were they coming on their own free opportunity? Because that's like if you, they they would have to travel across, you know, Asia and Europe to get mm-hmm. to the Atlantic, right? Where mm-hmm. as instead of just going to Hawaii or the Pacific mm-hmm. Coast, it's kind of like backwards. Yeah, I'm definitely no expert yeah. on uh, immigration waves through uh, Canada, but I do know for a very long time Canada was not very um, receptive to Chinese immigrants. We had things like the Chinese had tax and things like that, that um, I think it was about $500 at one point each person had to pay to get into Canada. So once they were here, Back though, then. yeah, and that's, you, you know, you're looking at probably a couple thousand yeah, at least wow. um, if we were to put in today's terms. But in Brockville, I again, I can't say for sure, but it doesn't sound like anyone was forced to come here or to there. <laughs> we're in Ottawa now, but it was uh, somewhere where they could set up. Uh, it was somewhere between two large communities, but it is an interesting factor where it's not where often when waves of immigration come in, they want to go places where people speak the same language, mm-hmm. where they have the same customs. And I mean, Brockville was very white. So it's, it is interesting that we do see these different waves and different groups of immigrants coming in and settling in Brockville when you don't have a huge Hungarian population or Chinese population or what have you coming in. Interesting. And what's like the demographics kind of like now? Like my perception of it, again, 
Sorry, Brockville. <laughs> Pretty white, right? Like that's I would still say my, that is the yeah. majority, but uh, we are, uh, I think we're one of the leaders when it comes to bringing in Syrian refugees mm. and things like that. There have been quite a few movements to uh, help bring people to uh, safer countries, to safer places. And we do have a very vibrant immigrant community in Brockville still. Shout out to Brockville. <laughs> right on. Um, it kind of goes back to the question I asked before, but like, you're talking about reading through historical documents yeah. and, and articles, right? Mm-hmm. Like Dr. Google doesn't, I don't know if it goes all the way back to 1812. Like Sometimes when you're, wish. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're looking at that type of stuff, like what are your reasons? Like, do you literally have to like have these archives of like old newspaper clippings? Are you yeah, on? Yes, like, but not always. Is there like, a museum database that has like, it's like the Wikipedia for museum so, people? Like, like you can go on Library and Archives Canada and you can find a lot of stuff. Like even doing my own family history, I found uh, census records of my, my grandfather, my great grandfather was one of the home children that came over from London in 1911. He was an orphan. And I mm. found his uh, immigration record from when he was 10 years old and came to Canada. Like, you can find that all on Library and Archives Canada's website, which is really cool. Um, And, like, even our collection at the museum, most of it's online. We have a great group of volunteers that works hard every day um, on our open drawer project, I think it's called. And uh, a lot of our collection is searchable online. So if you know something of your family history is connected to Brockville, you can try searching on our uh, website and hopefully you can find something. That's interesting. Okay. Well, while I ask the next question, I'm going to go see if I can find my birth <laughs> records up on here. Um, I don't know like how recent you can find stuff, but like I found my great grandmother's uh, name on the 1911 census or whatever in Canada. So it's super cool if you know uh, like your grandparents or great grandparents' names and where they lived. You can search that. Ah, uh, they weren't from Brockville. It's, it's just my mom because she went to the college. So go over to collections. Collection. Look at this. <laughs> so there is a picture there of someone. It looks like they're kind of brushing artifacts. Oh wait, I gotta click on. Sorry, sorry. We're just gonna go through. <laughs> okay. Brushing artifacts. Uh, you pass that one. So go to the button that says "Go to Collection Database." It's up a little bit in the oh. text. There you go. <laughs> ba, ba. So type in a word. We're searching. Things came up. Oh, there we go. We got <laughs> interesting. some old None of them were me. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to take a deep dive. We're going to have to get this. a photo of you to put in the museum collection. <laughs> yeah. Well, Born in Brockville. I, I'm on the, the historical well, walk We were of told fame. we need to get some pictures yeah, for the yeah. museum's social media. <laughs> yeah. Who has, do you guys have to run that too? Uh, our boss Natalie runs yeah. all our social That's media. It's yeah. like when three people, right? You wear wear so many many hats, different hats, and <laughs> yeah. things you're we not exposed to. Yeah. What made like I, I always love the asking the question, like what made people get into this <laughs> this industry? And again, going back to that, the world we live in today, like sure, people love museums and they love going as a kid, but like, what really makes people like? I want to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that like, and to tell you're both passionate about it. Yeah. You can't work for a small museum and be like, I hate my job. <laughs> it makes it hard. Yeah. That would make a very long life. Um, so I like Peggy, we'll start with you. Like what made you really want to get into museums and, and study this and was like working at a small museum, like the goal. Um, so big question. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, actually. Uh, getting into museums, I 100% blame my parents. 
every time there was a family vacation, we went to museums. And I loved the idea of telling stories. I loved the idea of being able to see old things, being able to touch old things and things like that. Uh, getting into the field, I always knew I wanted to be more in a smaller museum than a bigger museum because you just don't have to deal with the politics that come with federal museums. Mm. And you get to jump on to interesting projects because there's only four of you. So someone needs help with that. Cool. I'm going to go help you with this. I'm going to go help you with that. And I would say like the the kind of defining moment that got me into museums was I don't even know where it was. It was some sort of provincial park that had an education program. And there's these two people up on stage, and I was probably about eight years old or younger. And all I can remember of this presentation is them standing up there and saying, death, dung, and decay. It's only nature's way. And I looked at that when I want to do that. <laughs> and I am now here. Hmm, interesting. So it, it's been a weird career path, I guess you could yeah, say, from yeah. that to here. And that's like college, university, like... Yeah, that's going to university, going to college for museum studies. Uh, You work a bunch of contracts in the museum world trying to find somewhere. Go on intern places. (laughs) (laughs) You do a bunch of co-ops, you do internships, you go where the work is. So I've been to a couple different provinces for work, but I finally found some stuff closer to home. So now that I'm in Brockville area. Well, it goes back to that point of like the funding of museums, right? Like... I'm sure the Brockview Museum would love to have like a team of 10 or 12 to do all these oh, different yeah. roles, but it's very, <laughs> very limited. Um, they keep saying they want to hire me, but uh, I'm just on a contract, so yeah. <laughs> have to wait and see. <laughs> Listen, I worked at the radio station for four months before they finally were like, yeah, we'll hire you. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, so I got it. Sometimes doing what you love means sacrifice and you can make all the arguments you want in the world whether that's just or not that's not what anything's here for but it's like if you want to follow a dream the then pl- you live in brock or live in <laughs> ottawa and you drive to brockville every day right. <laughs> the plight of millennials everywhere yeah um and brooke i know from like you're friends with laura uh, yes. you guys met in laura museum, and i met right? in museum right. studies yeah. a, on a, a previous episode so shout out to laura and go back and listen to her episode as well but like what Again, I, I, it's a little different. Like we're again millennials. Like we're, <laughs> everyone I knew was like, "I'm going to be a teacher." Everyone wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. Um. Everyone was going to take kinesiology. Oh I, yeah. It was like everyone was either going for teacher or kinesiology, and I'm like, or they ever... watched Grey's Anatomy yeah. and they wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I, I'm like, I'm going to radio, and everyone's like, "What? Okay, that's weird." Um. <laughs> like what? Again, museums. Um. So I guess I have two like past museum experiences that made me really wanted to get into museum studies um, or museum work, I guess. So in grade 10, I'm from Kingston. uh, So in grade 10, we took a bus trip up to the war museum and I saw a painting hanging in the uh, peacekeeping kind of section of the museum. Um, So I just brought it up on my phone because I wanted to remember what it was called and get all the information right. Um, So it's called Painting Delaire number six and it's by Gertrude Kearns and it's of a soldier covering his face with his hands with like um, camouflage in the front and it was I believe about um, the work that they did in Rwanda and like I that image stuck with me Mm. for years Mm. after visiting the war museum for the first time so that's like okay like I want to be involved in something that protects that Um, and then in a grade 11 school trip we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art which was like the holy grail (laughs) for me for museums so if you could be like, what's the dream job that you wish you could have no matter like what? I'd be like, I want to work at the Met. 
Mm, yeah, the Met. Okay. Now yeah. that you say it that way, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Again, and like, I love museums. But I'm just, I'm so out of touch with the art world. So yeah, same. Um, but do you want to go work at the art museum? Well, the Metropolitan Museum of Art has um, pieces from like the pyramids in Cairo and ancient Egypt. It has medieval um, armor. It's got okay, Monet okay. paintings. Like it, they cover everything, and right, it'd be. Right. It's so cool. Like, I'm such a history nerd that it would be awesome to work in a place where it's got history from, like, everything beginning of times to today. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, so that'd be awesome. So what's the goal? Like, curator, uh, researcher? Like, I, where do you like to fall into? Uh, I'm like Laura, like she mentioned when she was on the podcast. I'd love to get into collections work. So curators, you have to be, like, a specialist in your field with likely, like, a master's or a PhD um, if you want to be in one of the big museums like that. In a smaller museum... Um, the curator is kind of, um, in our case, like the boss, everything (laughs) they do, uh, help decide what goes into all the exhibits. They, um, manage finance, like they kind of wear all the hats. You're like the general manager. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in collections work, you deal mainly like with the artifacts and maintaining the protection, um, of the artifacts. And that's what I would like to do. Yeah. That was one of like the most interesting conversations, like, all this stuff you have yeah. to do to like protect the art and like I love or, or just protect the sort of the the artifacts yeah and, everything like, and that. like I and... love museums I was like I want to work in a museum it'll be so cool and then I got into museum studies and I was like why are there so many jobs in museums that I didn't know about like conservation you don't think that all of you don't think about how all of these items are still in the condition that they are but it's because conservators work lots of hours to make sure that artifacts are still stable and don't degrade and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and educational programming like Mm -hmm. there's so many different types of educational programming that you can have in museums from delivering a program to a group of students to how do you interpret material in an exhibit space so that it's accessible for everybody right so that's lots of different aspects kind of setting up all those little like um, all the different activities you can do in an exhibit. The activities, yeah. like the yeah. like the little facts or something. Like, do you also like yeah. have a hand in that? Like when you're like walking by, like, did you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's uh, me. So I <laughs> at the Brockville Museum, I'm the interpretation and public program coordinator. So long title that basically means I do the education fun stuff. And with things like say the immigration exhibit, we did travel trunk. Uh, I like to call it like my baby in it, but it was uh, a set of dialogic questions, which is kind of museum jargon for questions that make you think that we put through the exhibit. Mm, And another big word. And another big word. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Um, So it's kind of like these arrows. They're all put on arrows to help guide you through the exhibit, but it poses a big question and then it gets you to answer. But it's not a yes or no answer. It is uh, based on your life, based on your as uh, perceptions of the world. So one of the questions we have is uh, what does the word immigrant mean to you? Mm. So that can mean something different to everyone. And then we might have a question about like, oh, well, where did your family come from? So there's no yes or no answer to this. This is all very personal questions, but it gets you engaging with the exhibit and thinking about right. how what you're reading that even though you may not be a Syrian refugee, well, how am I connected to that? Right, right. So that's kind of one of the things I do. And like even for the Prudence Stewart exhibit, we're like, how do we make this artwork accessible into a program that people can do in the exhibit? And when you look at her artwork, you can see specific shapes. She liked to 
kind of start with shapes and build off of that into these beautiful landscapes and portraits and stuff. So we're trying to develop a way to incorporate that so that people of all ages can do this activity where they can use some of the systems that she used to start her paintings and see a tangible thing at the end of it. It's always so fascinating to me that other people don't just start with stick figures like me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? I, I thought that's what you can do. What do you mean you put thought into oh. this first? <laughs> or you know when you used to do like just like the random little lines and you just would start in the middle and you just build it oh, all Oh, I still out. do that when I'm talking on the yeah, phone to like, someone. Yeah, you're just doodling like do do do. Yeah, like yeah. that. that's me. Like that's the extent oh, yeah. of my art. So. Well, when Brooke and I were first working on uh, the education component of this exhibit, it was us sitting in the basement at the museum cutting up pieces of paper <laughs> in various shapes going, okay, would this work if we did this? Well, what about if we did that? Well, how about if we did this instead and just kind of having an arts and craft day for half a day at work and sometimes it, you just need that to think yeah. of ideas you just have to become a kid again use fun scissors to cut out fun shapes and use crayons and uh, make your own art yeah. well yeah or you just remove yourself from your current problem or your yeah, issue yeah. and like once you're like when you're relaxed and when you're you're just you know doing your thing and it's much exactly. easier to help navigate out exactly. problems, right? When you're like sitting there hyper focused, you're like, I gotta get this done, and you're like, nothing's coming, yeah, and then yeah. you get stressed, and the phone starts ringing, you throw it across. Well, the room. even we were trying to figure out spacing for the paintings in the exhibit because it's going on three <laughs> different walls, and we've got 16 paintings coming. We're like, well, how are they all gonna fit on the walls? So we cut out pieces of paper the size of what the painting should be. And then to figure out what order we were going to put them on on the walls, we did our own abstract versions of Prudence Heward's paintings in stick figure sale. forms mm. <laughs> to put on the walls. So we could be like, okay, now this painting Very should go next to, next to this one. And like these two would look good together. Be good. You guys should put a picture size. and put that in the exhibit as well. Yeah. Just being like, yeah. from this. <laughs> I'm going to take them all home and frame them and be like, this is uh, my version of a Prudence Heward. Yeah. <laughs> this is sad, girl. This is... Um, okay. Another question for both of you. What now from start to finish? Because I assume most like both of you didn't. If you knew Prudence, like you didn't know much at all, right? No, like, no. right. So, what was like the your biggest takeaway from her or her work or her life or her culture impact? What oh. are you walking away oh. with being like, <laughs> oh. just oh, the bi- you know, whatever it is, the biggest thing that you're taking away from this whole experience oh, of learning about Prudence that you're just like, damn. Um. So because I got to read some of her letters, um, she was so passionate about her friends and supporting her friends and their painting and being together with them. She was the Casey Morrison. She was the Casey Morrison. (laughs) Of painters. Shout out to Casey again. (laughs) I think that's three in a row now. Um, So I have a quote here from uh, A.Y. Jackson's autobiography. Um, about these painting picnics and what they did. Um, So it says, the place names there are interesting. Tin Cat, Mallory Town, Bally Canoe, and Irish Creek. We used to to motor all around the district on sketching trips. The Elliots, Charlie and Ruth, and their mother, Prudence Heward, and often Sarah Robertson. On the back roads, we would all find a creek or an old farm and all go to work. There would be a short break for lunch, hot soup in a thermos, and sandwiches. Then to work again. The country was flat, underlaid with rock, was outcropped frequently. It was homely stuff to paint, with ripening corn, pumpkins, sunflowers, pasture fields covered with blue bog loss, what gay parties these sketching trips were. And it's neat, because in our exhibit, we have paintings by all of those artists. A.Y. Mm. Jackson, Ruth and Charles Elliott, Prudence Heward, and Sarah Robertson. And 
like in these letters you can see like oh alex who's ay jackson came painting this past weekend oh sarah's coming up next weekend won't you come and paint with me isabel like she really wanted to spend time with all of her friends and do these painting trips right that's before phone something letters like you have to mail she that stuff wrote out to everybody. a letter like every other day it's like the longest text chain <laughs> Because it takes like 12 hours for the letter to get to Toronto and then Isabel responds and sends it back and then Prudence writes again. So the next letter is like two days later. I'm like, this would take forever Trying to have like, a conversation. Yeah, imagine having Tinder back then or something. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> All those letters just go, nope. Yeah. God, am I ghosted? I don't know. Or did the mail? Pass the letter to the right. Pass the letter to the left. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, back on track. Um. Jeez, yeah, we I... have a very strict program. Here. <laughs> I, 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 I can tell, right? We're... What is your answer? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I I don't know if there's one thing I could say I've taken really away from this, but one of the things that will stick with me is just the family in general. Uh, the whole family has been, both past and present, have been so interesting to uh, get to know. Uh, Prune Seward was from a very long-standing family of and to this day a very strong woman who have had very interesting lives and meeting and talking to some of them and reading some of the information of other ones has just been so interesting to see these women just kind of going this is what I want to do and you can get out of my way if you don't like it Mm. and that's kind of been an inspirational thing I think for a lot of us to just kind of look at and see these women just doing what they want to do and finding a way to do it which was even Bigger Even bigger time. back then. Yeah. yeah. All right. Shout out. Her, like Prudence's grandmother, yeah. um, who lived in Brockville, ran her own successful dairy farm and wrote a book about it. Like she just, mm. I'm going to do my own thing. And she did, which is super cool. Because I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be a lot of women. Female fe- dairy, dairy farmers, farmers in like the 1860s. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> and it wasn't even... It wasn't even like she had to do it to support herself. She was from a wealthy family. Her husband helped design the parliament block. She just wanted to do this thing. And she's just, yeah, she wanted to milk some cows. And she becomes known as the uh, most successful dairy woman in the Dominion, I think they say. And everyone's asking for her help. Everyone wants to know her secrets. So, yeah, she writes this letter. And I think that's kind of the farthest back we've really been tracing the family. In the museum, I'm really yeah. talking about them, but it's just they've been a very interesting, very nice family to get to know. Right. That's awesome. So this painting picnic with Prudence Heward. Yes. Oh, I nailed it. <laughs> uh, it uh, starts March 31st. Yeah. Yes. So we actually we have an opening gala on March 27th. Um, tickets are $80. Uh, you can get them at the Brockville Art Center website. I'm not sure how many are left. I know there was very few left last time we checked. Um, so if you really want to come, be the first to see them. You can check that out. Um, but it does open to the public March 31st, and it's on until October 9th. Right. Okay. And what's the website exactly? Brockvillemuseum.com. It, you can go there to find more information. Yeah, absolutely. Before you go. Yes. Uh-oh. If you could go, again, another two-parter. <laughs> For both of you, if you could go back, because I assume you're both history nerds. Yeah. Yes. As am I. Safe assumption. Yeah. If you could go back to any period of time to live. <gasps> oh, goodness. And live out your life. Oh, no. What would that be? <laughs> I mean, I and love while you think, plumbing. You know, so I'm a big, like, World War II history guy. I wouldn't want to live during that time because that was pretty rough. Yeah. I love that history. Like, that history mm-hmm. to me is, like, just, I can't get enough of it. Like, just... Like whether it's like 
or concentration camps and those documentaries are World War II in color or have you read books. the Tattooist of Auschwitz yet? No. Read it. I know. I'm I, <laughs> I just finished it. I haven't it's read a lot of books, book. to be honest. I'll lend it to you. I do a lot of podcasts. <laughs> do, do they have audiobook? It probably has an probably. audiobook. Yeah. So Yes. <laughs> yes. Um for me, I think I would want to live ancient Greece. Ooh, okay, cool. Yeah, I think that'd be a little bit of a cool time. You know, medieval was like pretty dusty and dirty and <laughs> a lot of like they, medicine was fun. You know, like you know, the the Spartans and all that that type of stuff. Like it's it's interesting. It it's tough to say. Like there's so many cool parts of history. Like if I could be best friends with Jane Austen, <laughs> sign me up, mm, I'm down. Mm. But also like Prudence you were living her life in Montreal in like the nineteen 19- Although the 1930s were like a not great time to be in Canada because there was um, the depression, the depression. But like she seemed to have a fun time. If I could be on her level in the 1930s, I'd be OK. <laughs> hmm. Oh, um, see, that's not a fair question to ask someone who works in museums. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say I got two answers. One would be kind of looking at the early modern era. So kind of the 1500s, 1600s, because that's just a time of huge, huge social change and craziness happening in Europe at the time. And I've always been fascinated by things like the Reformation and how Shakespeare's work are impacting everyday lives and the new inventions and everything coming out at that point in time. But I also love the 1920s and 1930s. Also, right. benefit of almost modern medicine and yeah. indoor plumbing modern and yeah. electricity <laughs> and things like that. No, yeah, the Reformation. <laughs> I mean, like, very cool time, but that definitely would have been a little dicey. But yeah, you, you know, being a woman, I'm like, I'm 30 now. I'd have what, maybe five more years, and yeah. then I'd be dead. Yeah, but like the Enlightenment. Like, you know, when I think back, like, to sit down with like, you know, Socrates and just be like, oh yeah. Bro, like, what's going on up there? Yeah, there's always that list of people that's like, if I could go have a drink with you, right? Yeah, what, what, what exactly. Would that be like, right? exactly. Like, how, what is going through your mind? Because you can't contextualize. You know, you have those people in history that are like the thinkers, and mm-hmm. you can't t- contextualize to later to who that is now. Yeah, yep. you can kind of with like more sciencey stuff, like physics and and chemistry, like the, the quantum people who think about the universe. You can kind of get that way, but like the the philosophical yeah. mm-hmm. the political writers, I love those you know, like, like historical fiction TV shows where like someone goes back in time and like meets their <laughs> Mary yep. Curie or something like that and you're like mm. she wasn't like that she couldn't have been that cool yeah. and then maybe she was you maybe, don't know you don't know right it's interesting um, thank you both for coming on thank you for having uh, us shout out to, uh, to Prudence for yeah. uh, being alive and doing all those things and Getting this uh, exhibit inspiration. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Great work. I I may have to make a trip down to Brockville. I think out. so. Yeah. And uh, claim my, my, <laughs> Your spot. my spot on the... Uh, put a little picture on a case. Yeah. On, on my Brockville Hall of Fame. Um, again, March 31st it opens. Yep. Brockville.com. Do you have social media? Brockville.com. Uh, yep. I think it's at Brockville Museum on Twitter. Um, probably the same on Instagram. I'm going yeah, on my we're... phone right now to check. <laughs> as we stall. As we, as we slowly speak. We definitely are as Brockville Museum on Facebook. That's where we post a lot of our stuff. So it's at Brockville Muse, M-U-S, mm. on Twitter. Okay, cool. And uh, we were posting lots of like behind-the-scene photos of getting the exhibit ready uh, on our Instagram. We post a lot of stuff on uh, how to conserve 
your stuff at home and what mm-hmm. we do in conservation and oh, within the museum. So go check it out. Yeah. So if not for anything else, like yeah, save your mom's and your first have macaroni actually, picture uh, with our uh, collections manager. We have a program coming up called Caring for Your Family Treasures Workshop which will happen on April 1st, May 6th, and June 3rd. And it'll be about how to preserve your family heirlooms of uh, different types, so books and papers, photos, and textiles. So that'll be an interesting thing for people, yeah. I think, to go to. Yeah, I got to get my macaroni picture from kindergarten. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That Absolutely. That's a family heirloom. Okay, make sure you go check this out. Peggy, Brooke, thank you for coming in. Thanks, thank Ryan. you so much. Bye, everybody. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.